Jesus being criticized for virtually anything and everything that he did. And while we are kind of wrapping up the series today, that also doesn't mean that we've covered all of them because there are a bunch throughout uh, the pages of the Gospels. We haven't even come close to covering them all, but you know, from the religious leaders to the Romans to his friends and family, the, Jesus was criticized at, at every turn, some very harsh, um, but yet he kept preaching, he kept teaching, he kept pushing forward with the will of God and doing what, what he was here to do, being obedient to God. And each criticism of him has given us a unique perspective on who he is and, and also how he was viewed at that time. And then we also see his response uh, to those criticisms and we can learn some things about that. Um, because Jesus, he was a disruptor. He disrupted a lot of things and he disrupted a lot of uh, systems and things like that, but um, he received criticism throughout his ministry for those disruptions. But as I've said before, and I'll say it again, each criticism actually legitimizes his ministry because the things he was being criticized for legitimize what he was doing. And so we can learn a lot about him and his priorities, his character, and how that applies to us today. Uh, you know, the world Jesus entered was one that was ruled um, and governed so that virtually everything that you did, um, every aspect of life, what you ate, what type of clothes you wore, um, who you associated with and why, um, whether you were allowed to work or whether you were not, whether you were required to rest, those were all things that were involved in, in his culture at that time, especially for the Jewish people. And we can relate to that a little bit, but let's be honest, we have a little bit of a problem with rest today. Um, virtually every week, as I talk to people, even on you know, Sundays, Wednesdays, whatever, throughout the week, and you know, just say, hey, how you doing? You know, how's it going? Whatever. I will inevitably, 90% of the time, I'll get one of two answers and or maybe both answers together. And it would be this, I'm busy, and I'm tired. Everybody's busy and everybody's tired and we're tired because we're busy. And that sums up a lot of us. I'd be willing to bet this morning if I just walked around afterwards, I'm like, hey, how's it going? You're like, I'm tired. You know, I, I know for a fact I'll get that. We get this answer a lot. And there's this huge rise in like sleep awareness in the world today. Um, there really is. The amount of people who are not sleeping well is a thing. Um, it really is. And getting good rest is something that science will actually back up, that that's a, that that's a thing that we should do. Um, it reduces stress. It restores mental energy. It boosts your immune system. Um, it improves your short-term memory, supposedly. Um, you're actually more creative and actually able to, uh, to be more productive, uh, they say, if you're getting good rest. And, and I don't know about you, but in some of my social media feeds and things like that, I, I see ads for apps that are like sleep this and stuff along those lines all the time. In fact, a few years ago, the app of the year in the Apple App Store um, was an app called Calm. And this app was, the, and, and it's still over the last couple of years has been like in the top five number one apps, 100 million downloads of this. It's number one in sleep, meditation, and relaxation. It supposedly helps to manage stress and, uh, and anxiety and sleep problems. And some of you are jumping on the app store right now. You're like, what's that called? Calm. <laughs> but listen, 
100 million downloads, but it's a paid app, right? I was one of those downloads, I'll be honest with you. Like, I downloaded it just to check it out and open it up, and I'm looking at it, and, I'm, and it's a paid app. And I'm like, you know what? I'm not that tired. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's... <laughs> but people are paying to try to find rest and relaxation and, and, and to be refreshed. And it's interesting, and, and there are some, some reasons why, you know, medically and things like that, but I'm just talking kind of an overarching thing. It's amazing how when we follow God's principles that some of these kinds of things take care of themselves. Um, and, and that goes across the board on a lot of things. Um, and I realize I'm kind of saying that in a vacuum. But at the same time, it's something that we should take seriously, but we don't. And in Jesus' day and his culture, you could argue that they actually took that too seriously. Um, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Mark chapter 2. Turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 2, and we're going to actually finish off the chapter uh, and move into chapter 3 as well, um, just a heads up. But the religious leaders of the day, they had all kinds of different do's and don'ts that were related to the Sabbath, the Sabbath day, um, and things like what you could carry and how you could carry it, the way in which you are allowed to carry it, um, even <laughs> tying knots, like whether you were allowed to tie a knot and even a certain way that you could do it, like even if it related to your clothes, like well, you have to tie it a certain way or you're violating Sabbath. If you were to go get water from a well, you had to do it a certain way or you were violating the Sabbath. Um, all kinds of things like that. So with that in mind, let's read Mark chapter two, verses 23 through 28. Here's what it says. One Sabbath day, as Jesus was walking through some grain fields, his disciples began breaking off heads of grain to eat. But the Pharisees said to Jesus, look, why are they breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath? And Jesus said to them, haven't you ever read in the scriptures where David did when he and his companions were hungry? He went into the house of God during the days when Abiathar was high priest, and he broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests are allowed to eat. He also gave some, some to his companions. And then Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people and not people to meet the requirements of Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. So how does Jesus respond to this criticism here? And, and what does his response actually teach us about the heart of God? Because this is something that we should think about when we see his response. And the first thing I want to point out is that Jesus actually points to Scripture as a precedent for his behavior. He points to the word of God as a precedent for his behavior. And funny enough, Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 25, actually allows anyone who is hungry to pick and eat regardless of the day. So it seems to me that Jesus knew scripture better than these people that were criticizing him. In fact, we know he did. He knew scripture better than them. And the day was the issue here. See, Deuteronomy, the second giving of the law, that's what Deuteronomy uh, means, and so we're talking about the law, and so Jesus is quoting that, and he's also saying it's all good. But the Pharisees were saying that it wasn't. But remember, this is the Pharisees, not God. This is human interpretation, not God. And all of it was taking God's principles and turning it into religious ritual. And that's dangerous, because when we do that, we miss the heart of God. We miss the heart of God when we do that. See, Jesus never violated the command of Sabbath 
Um, he never appro- uh, you know, approved of his disciples breaking the Sabbath uh, principle here. But he broke the legalistic additions to the Sabbath law and, and others. And he sometimes did it deliberately to teach a lesson. He took every time that he was criticized and turns it, turned it into a teaching moment. And he defends his actions with the precedent of Scripture. He turns their criticism into a teaching moment of God's law. He says the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. See, the original intent of that got flipped by people interpreting and adding to things that God never intended. And so if Jesus, the very Lord of the Sabbath, as he says here, was not offended by his disciples' actions, then neither should the critics they shouldn't have been offended either. Of course, they weren't really buying into the fact that he was the Messiah either at the time, so we shouldn't be surprised. See, the regulations of the Old Testament, they were not meant uh, to be punishment, they were meant for protection. I think we look too often at the Old Testament stuff and we think that it's this fiery, ticked off God who's trying to come down with rules and regulations when in fact, it's actually the same God that we see in the New Testament, the same God that we serve today, and it was for protection, not punishment. It was for blessings, not burdens. Everything God does, the principles that God puts into our life, into scripture, in terms of the right way to live in our life are for blessings, not burdens. But we interpret it the wrong way because we're, we're, being, we're seeing it as being told we can't do what we wanna do. And when we see that and go, I, I wanna do this, but God says I can't do that, we turn his principles and his guidance into burdens instead of blessings. When in fact he's saying, no, if you live this way, you'll actually be more blessed if you live the way in which I'm telling you to live. See, Sabbath, it's intended for a time to stop work in order to reflect and relax and let God speak to us. And our bodies are made to function that way. Science actually backs up the fact that our bodies and our mind respond better when we take a moment to take a breath and rest and relax. And God even took a Sabbath God began the Sabbath, right? The seventh day of creation, God rested. And so his command is by his example. Jesus' response in Mark chapter two, verse 25 here, is actually in reference to a story in the Old Testament, in 1 Samuel chapter 21, uh, with David. David and his men, they're on a secret mission from the king. I'm giving you the really Reader's Digest version of this. On a secret mission from the king, and he needed to, to feed his men, more or less. And he sneaks into the temple, and he's given bread by the priest that was specifically designated for the priests. See, the priest understood, this particular priest, he understood God's principle that human need is more important than religious ritual. Human need is more important than religious ritual. This is what Jesus was trying to get across. This is really what he was trying to get across to people here. This is exactly what many people who are steeped in tradition have a really tough time accepting. That what God really wants is mercy before sacrifice. That Love to others is actually more important than religious ritual when it's all said and done. See, the Sabbath, remember, it's more than just a day. It's number four of the Ten Commandments. So 
we're not just talking about something that is suggesting. It's not the, the 10 suggestions, right? It's the 10 commandments. And by God telling us to rest from our labor, um, you know, th- this commandment, he says, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And it's rooted in creation, as we've already talked about. But unlike a lot of the criticisms that Jesus faced here, this one is, is rooted in scripture. And so again, as I've said the last few weeks, and, and I'll say it again here today, we don't want to maybe be as critical of the critics because we can sit here hindsight, right, knowing all the things and look back and go, boy, were they being stupid, and yeah. But at the same time, we got to remember where they're coming from. You know, in the history of the church, there's been plenty of times where people have been fixated on a specific verse and a specific thing and haven't read all of this stuff around it. They haven't put things in context, maybe. The commands of God in Scripture, they exclude other verses to kind of make it into what they want it to be. And that's kind of the case here because a system was built up that was um, basically making things permissible and not permissible and all of these rules that were being built up around Sabbath that was never God's intent because some of this was biblical commandment and some of it was human tradition. And so understanding that should tell you that when, when Jesus said this, they're coming from the mindset of this. Obedience to this was not just expected, but required. In their mind, obedience to this was required. There was no gray area. And so Jesus is, is not failing to maintain the basic obedience of the Ten Commandments, but that's how they were seeing it. They were seeing it that he was deliberately disobeying one of the Ten Commandments. And what he was doing was trying to teach them that their interpretation of this had gone so far away from the heartbeat of God. And we need to be careful of the same thing. So as we keep reading, and we go into Mark chapter 3, we actually see another story about the exact same kind of criticism, but, but you're gonna see how these things rhyme. Because I failed to believe that these stories were not put back to back by accident. So let's keep reading. Mark chapter three, verses one through six. It says, Jesus went into the synagogue again and noticed that a man with a deformed hand, and since it was Sabbath, Jesus' enemies watched him closely. If he healed the man's hand, they plan to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the deformed hand, come and stand in front of everyone. Then he turned to his critics and he asked, does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath or is it a day for doing evil? Is this a day to save life or to destroy it? But they wouldn't answer him. He looked around at them angrily and was deeply saddened by their hard hearts. And then he said to the man, hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand, and it was restored. And at once the Pharisees went away and met with the supporters of Herod to plot how to kill Jesus. So this is what pushed them over the edge. The straw that broke the camel's back was healing somebody on the Sabbath day. This is what pushed them to the point of, we got to kill this guy. Unreal. Unbelievable. This is one of the few places in scripture where we actually see Jesus described as having anger. And he was angry at the hardness of men's hearts. I gotta believe that he was kind of just like shaking his head as him being God in flesh, 100% man, 100% God. You know that, I I mean, I, I like to think of it this way, that he was kind of 
internally hearing the thoughts of them as he was asking them questions that were very pointed questions and he was internally hearing what they were thinking in their hearts and it just infuriated him and hurt his heart and he was probably just you know shaking his head so he's angry because this was the perfect opportunity for these critics to change their minds about him and about the traditions that they had instilled and instead they doubled down they doubled down on it and so he deliberately uses this moment he deliberately uses this moment to provoke a response he could have done anything he wanted there he could have been like you know what I'll heal this guy later I'm not going to deal with this now he could have done it in private he could have done it just a little bit later but he chose to do it at this time and this place to make an example because he knew what needed to be done and so he chose to do it in this time and place an example needed to be made back-to-back stories about the Sabbath being a reason to not love and minister to people. And so in some ways, Jesus was saying this, there is never a wrong day to do something truly good. There's never a wrong day to do something truly good. Enough is enough, right? This is the godly truth about the Sabbath. But in his actions that bring criticism... And in his response to that criticism, Jesus teaches us something about God, which is that God does want us to observe the Sabbath. He's very clear about that. Never once in these moments did he show disrespect for the Sabbath, or never once do we find him, uh, because he was a carpenter, but never once do we find him working on Sabbath or anything along those lines. Um, We see him having a typical Sabbath experience in his life, you know, attending worship in the synagogue, going for a walk and spending time with the Lord. We, we see often the times that he retreated and went off to pray by himself, all of those things. The only difference is that when Jesus encounters somebody who is suffering, he doesn't use the Sabbath as an excuse to not help them. And how often do we use a day, a time, a circumstance as an excuse to maybe not be Jesus to someone. We all do it. I've done it. You've done it. See, God made it clear that the law summed up the double commands to love God with all of our being and to love our neighbor as ourself. It's in Mark 12. His actions here, Jesus shows us exactly what that looks like. He shows us exactly what that looks like, but he also gives grace over and over and over and over again. And we need to as well. We need to give grace to the critics. And this is a tough one. But ultimately, this is what Jesus is calling us to do, is to give grace to the critics. He gave his critics grace every single time. He tried to win them over and for them to see the legitimate, godly purpose in all that he was being criticized for. He tried to save who he could save. And this statement to give grace to the critics, this might be something that needs to be directed at you for yourself or it might need to be directed from you to others. Depends on what God's telling you right now. But you know what? We shouldn't be surprised when unbelievers act like unbelievers. But we do. We fall into that. But let's also not criticize them back Let's respond like Jesus did. Let's love people. 
Let's show them the grace of God. Let's show them kindness. Let's show them understanding. In a world that likes to marginalize and rule out people that don't agree with them, let's not commit the same thing in reverse. I feel like some aspects of the church have done that. Jesus shows us that the, that the law should, should actually encourage us to treat each other well. See, he says to that man, he says, stretch out your hand. This guy has a, a withered, deformed hand and Jesus commands him to do something impossible that he couldn't do. And as the man puts forth the effort, God does the rest. God does the rest. See, God never commands us without enabling us. He never commands us without enabling us. He's enabled and empowered us to use the critical moments to show the glory of God. That's what Jesus did here. See, th this man, he, he enabled him by, by telling him, stretch forth your hand. And, and he knew that through the power of God, he would have the ability to do that and stretch it forth. And so what in your life is maybe God enabling you to stretch out your hand? Maybe it's your hand of love and compassion for those around you that you've got just too much of a critical spirit on. See, as we wrap this series up, it's, it's good for us to remember that Jesus' ultimate response to criticism was entering into death. Ultimately, that was his response to criticism. He entered into death. What was the criticism? The overall criticism of Jesus, the criticism that was directed at God, which is that, that we are guilty of whenever we sin. And it's our way of basically telling God that we think we know what's best for our life. Ultimately, it all comes down to that, that we think we know what's best for our life. And Jesus' response to that criticism was actually to enter into this world, become a man, live a life that doesn't criticize God through his lack of sin, because he led, he, he, he led a perfectly sinless life. And instead, he died on the cross in your place and mine so that we could be forgiven and live eternally with God. And I praise him for that. And as Jesus hung on the cross, as he hung there, we see his ultimate response to criticism and to the critics who were sitting there watching, doing their worst. And here was his response in Luke 23, 34. Jesus said to them, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. He declared forgiveness. He declared grace. He declared a demonstration of, of grace and love to the critics that definitely didn't deserve it, but he loved them way more than they deserve. And, and it's the same with each and every one of us because all of his critics were there that day. So my connection point for the day, and in a lot of ways for the whole series, is to respond like Jesus. To respond like Jesus, which is to love God and love others. That's how we respond to the critics. The most important command of our faith is to love God and love our neighbor as ourself. The most important command. And if we're so busy, so distracted by the wrong perspectives and by a critical spirit in our heart and our mind, we're seeing punishment instead of protection. We're seeing burdens instead of blessings. Then we're responding from our critical self instead of responding like Jesus. And if we respond as a critic, 
then we're going to have a really tough time with the great command. Will you bow your heads with me? I don't know about you, but I'm so glad that Jesus did not listen to the critics. I wouldn't be here. You wouldn't be here. Jesus would have never taken your place on the cross and rose from the dead so that we can be with him forever. If that's the first time that maybe you're hearing about the love of God in that way, today could be the day of salvation for you. If you thought that God was just a big critic in the sky, let me tell you, that's the complete wrong perspective on him. He loves you so much that he's willing to tell you the things that you need to hear to give you blessings, not burdens, to give you protection, not punishment. If you want to know more about having a relationship with Jesus, I'd love to talk with you, pray with you. If you're watching online, I know that there's people in the comments and, and in the chat that would love to chat with you about that. Reach out. That's what this is all about. That's what baptism is all about that we're going to be having here in just a minute. God loves you so much that he gave his son who lived a perfect life to take your place so that you could be with him forever. We've got people in yellow lanyards that are around the, uh, around the room. If you need prayer, you want to go talk to somebody, they're there. That's what they're for. Find one of us. Find somebody maybe at the orange wall. But the people with yellow lanyards around the room would love to talk with you and pray with you. Heavenly Father, I love you so much and I thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you for, um, God, just the, the way in which you speak into our lives through the truth of your word. And I thank you that you didn't listen to the critics. I thank you that you were willing to go through what you went through for each and every one of us. God, help us to respond like you. Help us to, to love you and to love others with all of our being. Help us to take that seriously as we go out today into the world that needs that message so badly. Father, I pray that if there's one here that doesn't know you, that doesn't know for 100% sure that they're gonna be with you in heaven, God, I pray that today would be the day that they make that decision. I thank you for those that are gonna get baptized here in just a minute, and I pray for them. I pray for your hand of protection over them. I pray that as they go forward, Lord, that you would take them, take their life and use them to make an impact in this world like we've never seen. Jesus, I love you, I thank you. In your name we pray, amen.